Welcome to the Mini of Life, where philosophy gets personal. This podcast is a series of conversations between Dr. Susie Ferrarello and philosophers from around the world, exploring the ever-persistent question of what is the meaning of life, from an intimately personal perspective amongst other topics in philosophy. Our host, Dr. Ferrarello, received her PhD in philosophy from a Sorbonne University in Paris. She is an expert in phenomenology, ethics, moral psychology, and ancient and contemporary philosophy. Dr. Ferrarello is currently a professor of philosophy at California State University, East Bay, and she is also a philosophical counselor. So, hello everybody. Thank you so much for uh, being here today. We have the great opportunity to um, interview Alessandro Salice. Uh, he's a lecturer at the philosophy department of the University College in Cork, and uh, he has uh, a wide experience in uh, different universities in Europe, in Graz, uh, Basel, Vienna. Uh, he works at the Center for Subjectivity Research in Copenhagen. I'd be curious to hear a little about that. It's uh, a thriving center as well. And uh, his research is uh, very, very interesting because, uh, I mean, you worked uh, in uh, social identity, but in uh, from an angle that is, uh, I think, very useful for um, our well-being, for our society, because uh, you consider how the cases that we consider abnormal, for example, uh, fits in our sense of normality. Uh, among the questions that you raised uh, in your research, uh, there's, uh, you know, how uh, how can we share social identity with robots, for example, or uh, how social identity, or if a social identity presuppose uh, empathy and the social understanding of others so uh, I mean your research does not just accept social identity as a given but uh, almost I dare to say as a social responsibility for uh, uh, inclusion uh, but I leave you the floor and uh, yeah please tell us uh, uh, what motivates uh, your research today what are the challenges that uh, you experience in your research uh, and so sure. on. thanks thank you thank you for having me uh, it's, a, it's a big pleasure um, well look um, you uh, you mentioned um, social identity and um, I actually um, realized uh, the importance of that topic while um, working on collective intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, um, uh, collective intentionality is an umbrella term um, that captures um, many uh, different um, uh, capacities of the mind. And for instance, the capacity of sharing emotions or of sharing intentions and therefore performing joint actions with mm-hmm. others. Yeah. And um, I came to realize that um, uh, one crucial uh, presupposition for that capacity, the capacity to share attitudes with others, um, is um, uh, the, um, um, you know, the capacity to have um, a social identity. And by that, I mean uh, the capacity to understand oneself as a group member. Mm-hmm. Um, once that um, happened, then one is predisposed to um, share emotion and share intentions, share projects with others, share beliefs with others, and so on and so forth. So um, 
so that is somehow uh, that was somehow the point um, of access to uh, this topic of social identity. Uh, but I then realized that uh, there are um, a lot of other experiences that um, can be uh, better understood if um, considered through the lens of social identity. So, for instance, uh, think of cases where um, you are ashamed of what. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the politicians in your nations have done, the government in your nation has done, or when you become uh, proud um, of um, what your fellow citizens have done. Mm -hmm. Now, in this case, uh, you come to feel emotions for which apparently um, you have no reasons for. Uh, you haven't done anything, uh, you know, right. wrong or blameworthy for feeling ashamed, and, and you have not contributed to whatever achievement um, your fellow citizens have um, have achieved and nevertheless you feel uh, those kind of emotions mm -hmm. and so here again I think uh, this uh, idea of the social self or social identity might play a role because you know you could say that you feel that particular em uh, emotion of shame or of pride because mm -hmm. you understand yourself as a member of that group uh, which right. has performed that either uh, a blameworthy action or, or commendable action. So there are a lot of uh, interesting topics that relate mm -hmm. to, uh, to social identity. Uh, let me say perhaps one thing that uh, I find a little bit challenging um, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to investigate this particular topic, um, which is that um, um, uh, uh, this um, obviously, uh, this topic has obvious ramification in empirical work. Um, so, uh, social identity is first and foremost uh, investigated by social psychologists, mm -hmm. the empirical um, um, researchers of the mind, and uh, and uh, you know there is only mm -hmm. a limited contribution that a philosopher can bring to oh, that yeah. sort of debate, um, or at least um, uh, I, I obviously I. Um, I'm familiar with uh, some of the literature that has been produced uh, in those disciplines, but I myself do not work uh, uh, empirically. And so uh, it, I need to find the right angle to discuss those, uh, mm -hmm. those issues, precisely because um, there is only that much that pure conceptual work can give you if you want mm -hmm. to investigate those, uh, those phenomena. Makes sense. Look, uh, how do you position yourself in relation to this uh, uh, problem, issue of social identity. I mean, I think about uh, all the moves, uh, right, you have to do for uh, your uh, academic life. Uh, you, yes. uh, you change cities, uh, some were international cities, some less. Uh, did you experience uh, on your own skin, uh, you know, uh, the, the difficulty of uh, uh, having... Uh, a social identity that not necessarily corresponds to your personal identity, your uh, individual intentionality that uh, uh, rubs against the collective intentionality. Uh, what's your personal experience in relation to that? Um, yes, well, uh, that's really an excellent question because um, as a matter of fact, um, um, I understand myself uh, as as a phenomenologist of mm -hmm. some sort. So as somebody who um, takes seriously, um, um, you know, uh, is for her first personal experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. 
And that's also why I'm interested in understanding those particular experiences. And now, uh, as you were just suggesting, uh, in fact, um, uh, experiences in, related to social identity, um, uh, to my, you know, nomadism to a certain extent, <laughs> yeah. have, have yeah. really uh, triggered my my interest in these sort of questions. I. Um, I, I left Italy uh, almost 20 years ago, and as oh. you were mentioning, I moved, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I lived in various countries uh, in Europe. And um, also, personally, um, I, I am, you know, my partner, my wife, she is Japanese, so there oh, is this, wow. uh -huh. this yeah. uh, um, uh, additional, let's say, uh -huh. element of complexity in, right. uh, in, in my life. Uh -huh. and, um, and so, definitely, uh, you know, I, I remember when, uh, well, let's not make any names, but I remember when uh, an important uh, Italian um, uh, politician was oh. leading our government okay. yes. and I was living abroad. Well, I can certainly tell you that in certain cases, I really felt a sense of, of shame for what mm. was done. And, uh, and this obviously goes back to uh, the topic we have discussed before. How can we explain that particular episode of shame, given that, you know, mm -hmm. there is nothing that, um, that I have contributed uh, to that particular action that has then caused my emotion mm -hmm. of shame. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is part of the reasons why I have uh, investigated these issues. By the way, um, my collaborator, um, uh, when it comes to uh, these particular kinds of emotions, mm -hmm. um, uh, Alba Sanchez, she too um, has this particular life background. Uh, she's Spanish, but she lives uh -huh. in Denmark. And right. so it was very clear to us that, uh, you know, we were having emo uh, emotions <laughs> or experiences that were aligned to a certain extent. Um, and that is also what has um, uh, indeed triggered my or our interest in this, uh, in this particular phenomenon. Thank you, Alessandro, for sharing uh, bits of your life. And uh, I can relate completely to the sense of shame. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. you mentioned. Uh, how yeah. do you see the notion of diversity in relation to that? I mean, uh, uh, what kind of meaning then, what kind of uh, ontological space uh, do we give uh, to diversity uh, when we speak about social identity? What do you think? Yes. Well, um, look, I um, I can only speak for myself. Presumably, you know, <laughs> maybe as you know, uh, uh, disagreement is the salt of philosophy. So I, I, I wouldn't, uh, um, you know, I can only say how I consider that. Now, it seemed to me that diversity is what um, philosophers would call a thick term in the sense mm. that uh, it mm -hmm. is not only... Um, a description. Uh, so when you say that, say, um, a given social setting um, is characterized by diversity, you're not simply describing something, you're also evaluating that. And I think, mm. at least from my perspective, that is a positive evaluation. If I say, um, you know, let's make an, um, an example, a more concrete example, uh, you know, we in my department, uh, there is a diversity of disciplinary approaches, then I'm just saying, mm -hmm. look, it's a good thing that we are having that. It is, mm -hmm. I'm not only describing the sheer fact that uh, mm -hmm. my colleagues have uh, or approach uh, philosophical issues from different disciplinary angles. I'm also saying that it's it's good that this happens. And uh, mm -hmm. and the reason for that, I, I believe, is that 
it's not uh, you know to it's not because um, I, um, I I would like to foster any sort of mutual consensus uh, among um, you know those people who uh, share mm-hmm. diversity, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's rather because um, I think uh, one always has something to learn uh, from mm-hmm. different perspectives uh, towards uh, the world now. Uh, this doesn't mean necessarily that I eventually will have to endorse your perspective or I will have to come to an agreement with what you think or believe. Um, but I think that um, any perspective is uh, somehow a vehicle to information that is crucial to that perspective. And, and for me, it is important to, you know, to know and to appreciate what, that, what is that information that is secured uh, in that perspective. Still maintaining the differences uh, after all if there is diversity there is diversity because there are differences we, you wouldn't Absolutely. speak of diversity um, mm-hmm. if if not uh, if, if if there were no no differences yeah so i think uh, um, i mean i like diversity i i would like that to be preserved um, um, and, and 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 i think it is uh, um, you know not only um, in in a political discourse, but also more generally in a social discourse and also in, in one's private life. It's something that uh, one should uh, try to um, to preserve, as I was saying before. So there can, there can be identity with social diversity. We don't have to have a one only that excludes uh, others in order to have uh, a social identity. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I mean, uh, diversity... Um, First of all, presupposes differences, as I was mentioning, but it also um, calls for mutual respect. You can yeah. disagree with somebody else, mm-hmm. um, but um, y- you know you're supposed to respect the other and the other perspective. Um, you know, at, at least uh, to the extent in which that other perspective is respectful of you, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, if 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 that is not mutual, if the relation of respect is not mutual, then something is going wrong. Then mm-hmm. then we are not any longer uh, dis- discussing about uh, diversity. We're discussing of something something else. I would say. So so yes, uh, yeah. I think you can preserve some sort of unity within diversity if some mutual respect is, is, um, is established. Mm-hmm. That mutual respect, I think, shows that there is some convergence on, on shared values, right, of some mm-hmm. sort, uh, mm-hmm. um, of, a, of a very general nature. But that is sufficient already, I guess, uh, to, to claim that there is certain, a certain amount of unity, despite uh, the differences, despite uh, the diversity. Yeah, and this is a big lesson we need to learn as soon as possible, considering the divides uh, that are uh, yeah, in our society, in politics, not only in the US, but in Europe, I mean, during this pandemic, yes. for example. Yes, 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 um, I agree. Um, in fact, uh, um, it's, it's, I mean, yeah. it is one thing to reflect upon these issues from mm-hmm. a philosophical perspective, but then... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware that it is uh, a very, you know, very, uh, you know, a huge problem how you can merge this, mm-hmm. uh, this theoretical uh, discourse uh, into reality. How can you, right. you know, persuade people of entering a, a mutual dialogue where 
respect is preserved while at the same time, um, you know, differences are fostered mm-hmm. because then eventually, the, 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 I mean, as a matter of fact, the difficulty mm-hmm. there is that um, there must, you know, you, you have to come with a decision on certain issues and yeah. that decision has to be one. Yeah. <laughs> it cannot yeah. be many decisions, it has to be one. So it's, uh, I, I'm aware that there are uh, important difficulties here uh, that I, I've just, uh, you know, briefly touched upon I, by the way I, I must say I'm not uh, I don't want I don't work in political philosophy so I mm-hmm. that, that's really somehow uh, um, yeah. more key waters for, uh, for me <laughs> yeah right. because then uh, the area shifts to law politics yeah. uh, policies and uh, exactly. and so on but we in philosophy we can propose uh, paradigms and patterns that uh, facilitate a dialogue emerging that is respectful yeah. of different points of view yeah I yeah mean. yeah absolutely and um, mm-hmm. and i think um, i mean you were mentioning the the center uh, at the start of our ah, yes. uh, discussion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, i mean Part of what I'm saying is the result of my personal experience at the center where, um, mm-hmm. you know, you had a constant dialogue with mm-hmm. uh, uh, many researchers who have many different perspectives towards maybe the same phenomenon. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, what I found uh, um, most valuable about my experience in, uh, at the center was precisely the idea that those debates and discussion were not infused by any adversarial kind of stance. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to try to, mm-hmm. uh, was eventually to, to, to come to a certain convergence when it comes to the explanation of a certain phenomenon, despite the differences uh, uh, of disciplinary perspectives. So mm-hmm. I remember when I presented my work at the, at the center, then the, the, the kind of feedback that I received was, critical to the extent that that criticism could have helped me you know making some progress in the mm-hmm. kind of research that I was involved it wasn't the sort of criticism where you know mm-hmm. the aim is to destroy right. what you have uh, what you've done so I, I I find that um, that particular way of collaborating um, is um, is very fruitful especially for for philosophers Uh, it's a uh, uh, yeah. The, this is the uh, I remind uh, it's the Center for Subjectivity Research in Copenhagen. Uh, you're referring to. Uh, was there a time in which uh, you felt uh, actually hindered instead uh, in your research, uh, and what was the main hindrance uh, to your research? Um, well, I mean. Um... Are you asking now uh, my research during the time at the center or in general? In general, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, there, I can say that um, I can easily remember, uh, yeah. yes, uh, one important hindrance that I have encountered, uh-huh. that especially at the beginning of uh, uh, my, uh, my work as an academic. Um, I mean, I, I guess it is... Um, Uh, for philosophers, it is um, a very widespread experience. It is the one oh, where yeah. you start to investigate something <laughs> uh-huh. and then you realize that, you know, there is always something more to know about yeah. a certain phenomenon. You come uh-huh. out, you realize that the problem you're working on was discussed by 
so many yes. different philosophers and uh, you know mm-hmm. it's from so many different perspectives mm-hmm. and and then that could instigate in you the idea at least it instigated in me the idea that mm-hmm. uh, you know you are not allowed to say anything about that particular ah, philosophical problems no. unless you know everything there is to know about that i know <laughs> but and uh, but uh, I, I, I find this to be actually um, some sort of uh, perversion of the discipline. Uh, mm, I, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually happy that I, to a certain extent, uh, managed to liberate myself from mm. that particular worry. I think, um, you know, uh, that idea presupposes, um, well, first of all, it presupposes that um, your uh, your collaborators, those who read your work or hear your talk, are there precisely only to criticize you, right? Yeah. They're, they're not there as as, as as partners, so to say, in an endeavor mm-hmm. that you have started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that puts you in a defense position where mm-hmm. um, precisely, mm-hmm. you know, you feel that you can say something only when you have covered all your bases. Mm-hmm. But then uh, this also suggests, you know, that to a certain extent, uh, um, uh, the other are not in the same position you are. It, right. it, it some, somehow suggests that you know there is somebody out there who has that overview over right. everything that has been said about uh, a certain philosophical problem, which again is false uh, because right. nobody is in that mm-hmm. position. Yeah, and um, and I think there is also one last uh, thing I, that I realized. Um, uh, in my work as a postdoc first, and then and then mm-hmm. as a lecturer, and this is the idea that again, if you take that particular stance, then that presupposes that um, that any argument uh, cannot be considered in isolation. Or to put this mm-hmm. differently, that um, mm-hmm. uh, each and every argument you develop somehow has to be considered in relation to millions of other arguments and and i think that to a certain extent is also wrong uh, Mm -hmm. because it is possible to say something specifically about one specific argument without now uh, having to investigate the background that you know and all the potentially infinite Mm -hmm. relations that that argument has with many other arguments Mm -hmm. so reflecting upon uh, all these issues as somehow uh, liberated myself from that particular, uh, right. you know, constraints that I've put on myself, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I now, um, uh, you know, I am more. Uh, I feel myself more free to, right. you know, to work and voice my opinion on this or that uh, uh, a philosophical problem. Well, I'm glad that you re- you reached this uh, conclusion because we are yeah. very happy to <laughs> to read your <laughs> publications and to yeah to 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 be in contact with your work. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that what yeah. you said it's extremely valuable. We need to remember that there is a beginning uh, to everything, uh, and you know, striving for perfection is uh, eh, you know it leaves uh, yes. <laughs> some time. <laughs> I mean, after all, right. perfection, as uh, Latin reminds us, is uh, yeah. perfacere. It's something that is uh, finite. It doesn't have any anything more to give. And instead, right. uh, you know, keeping uh, an eternal beginning helps us uh, to keep right. giving. Right. Right. But also, I mean, uh, if you think about that, it, it also hinders your curiosity. If you are I agree. curious, mm-hmm. you, you, you want to explore things. You want mm-hmm. to say, okay, 
Now right. I, I got a sense of what is here. Now let me explore what is there. But if right. you really can only express yourself uh, once you have, once you know everything there is to know about a certain problem, then you right. will be <laughs> stuck with that problem for your entire life. <laughs> and I just point. don't have, yeah, I just don't have the patience for that. I must confess. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am somebody who tend to, you know, get bored uh, easily. And, and so I, I need right. that diversity to, to use that term again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. an excellent point. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep uh, curiosity alive. And look, yeah, something yeah. that is more or less close to what um, you were saying. So how did you discover what you value? Uh, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, uh, uh, it, this question is actually quite interesting because it's something uh -huh. that I am currently thinking about. Uh, and um, uh, in fact, I, I will give a, a talk on that um, oh, uh, nice. in, in December. And uh -huh. uh, so I, I think um, that, um, so let, I guess this question has to do with, uh, with our emotions. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, I consider emotions to be not simply feelings that you know arise or emerge right. in your body but I right. think emotions are infused by a, a specific kind of rationality and mm -hmm. they are infused by rationality because I think um, emotions track values they are our mm -hmm. pathways mm -hmm. to values yeah. so yeah. just to give you a, a, a very uh, simple example if, if you admire somebody Mm -hmm. uh, then admiration discloses to you certain values of that person, which mm -hmm. demands your emotional reaction, your admiration. Right. Um, if, um, if you fear something, then again, uh, fear is tracking danger. Uh, mm -hmm. And danger is a disvalue to your well-being. So mm -hmm. um, I think um, um, emotions are imbued with that sort of axiological rationality. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that emotion uh, cannot misfire. They, they often do mm -hmm. misfire, but, uh, mm -hmm. but sometimes they don't. And sometimes they indeed track, um, you know, values uh, in, mm -hmm. in, in the world. And so now to come back to your question, how do I get to know uh, what I value? Well, uh, it's actually a process, I would say. It's not that um, I, mm -hmm. I, one day I woke up in the morning and I, whoa, I discovered <laughs> this is what I value. Or, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, uh, it's reflecting upon my own emotions that I think reveals to me what is it that is important to me, what, what are you know, my preferences, what is it that, what are the values that I rank higher than others? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that reflection, I think, is, is constantly ongoing. It is constantly mm -hmm. ongoing, first of all, because um, emotions are more often than not, not our under control. So it's, it's not that uh, you can decide when you're going to feel admiration or when you're going to feel fear. It, it is the situation that triggers that particular emotions in you mm -hmm. and so living and experiencing emotions is something that again is not under your control so you you can't you if you are reflecting upon your emotions it's only a particular set of emotions that you're reflecting upon those that are enabled have been enabled to you by the situations mm -hmm. you are lived through mm -hmm. and so nothing uh, you know, precludes 
for me to, to, to feel certain emotions that I've never felt in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And, and those emotions, reflecting upon those emotions, will give me, again, hints about what is it that I value. But there is another um, um, reasons for thinking that, I guess, you know, this reflection is constantly ongoing. It is, you know, it never reaches a really an end point. Right. This is the fact that, uh, you know, reflection is um, some kind of um, um, observational process. It's some kind of you trying to detach yourself from your mental life and yeah. taking that particular external position and and you know making inferences and all sort mm-hmm. of um, uh, highly cognitive uh, engaging in highly cognitive processes mm-hmm. and now once you do that then you are obviously prone to error you know it, it, it might well be that yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. you you are let's say deluding yourself in thinking that oh that emotions reveal that about myself maybe mm-hmm. that was wrong maybe mm-hmm. you know maybe you you remember wrongly uh, your emotion you felt or mm-hmm. maybe your inference is not adequate mm-hmm. um, and then there is one last uh, reason that again makes uh, this reflection so complicated which is the fact that uh, you know we are Excellent, very, very good at deluding ourselves. I think we yeah. we don't like to um, to appreciate our limitations. Uh, mm-hmm. We we strive to establish a positive self image, mm-hmm. um, and so all these uh, are factors that again make this reflection mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. complex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Again, but I think still um, uh, this complexity notwithstanding, I guess we we ought to start from our emotion. At least this is how I do it. Um, I try to think about the emotions that I feel and uh, Mm -hmm. um, I try to put them in relation. I try to ascertain certain rational patterns that um, um, relate all these emotions Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I will uh, will find out what is it exactly that that I feel. Mm -hmm. Let me also say that um, uh, there is also another interesting angle, uh, at, at least interesting to me in, in this, which is um, sometimes, uh, you know, what uh, you value is revealed to you um, when you lack it, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. um, sometimes uh, it becomes let's say, let's go back to the discussion about social identity. Um, Sometimes it becomes salient to you that, you know, you valued your life in your country when you feel, Mm -hmm. say, nostalgia. Right. When you feel nostalgic, then it is revealed to you that, you know, you miss something which is Mm -hmm. important to you in some respect. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, and it is a much more obvious example, Mm -hmm. um, is, uh, you know, when you feel, when you are grieving, then it is obviously that the you know the lack of somebody mm-hmm. uh, is so deeply yeah. uh, and so immediately disclosed to you, right? Mm-hmm. And so and but now again, nostalgia, grief, all these are affective phenomena. Maybe they are not episodic emotions, but they still are affective phenomena that are imbued by that particular kind of affective rationality I was talking about. Um, and so again, I think it is interesting to look at these other sort mm-hmm. of uh, um, uh, affective phenomena that are 
more elusive to a certain extent. They are more difficult to understand. They're not, you know, episodic like admiration or, or fear. They are more right. uh, extended in time. They have deep, more, uh, um, you know, vague contours, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but those are extremely relevant, again, to understand what is it that, that, that you value or disvalue for that matter. Thank you so much for this excellent uh, pattern picture that you painted in uh, just uh, a few minutes. So this is really, yeah, uh, uh, precious. Is there a philosopher who helped you more than others uh, to get there uh, or uh, right. collection? <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, I don't have one single philosopher uh, uh-huh. uh, in fairness with you, but uh, there are i mean, there are many, but two in particular comes to mind. Yes. And, uh, and now they, they might not be um, uh, very well known uh, because they are not some of the major you know, mm-hmm. philosophers like, let's Even say, better. Kant or yeah. Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, and, this, um, and, and they, um, uh, you know, my interest uh, in them relates to my more general interest in, uh, in a particular area of the history of philosophy that mm-hmm. is uh, uh, um, still very little known, which is early phenomenology. So mm-hmm. the, the early um, uh, phenomenologists who have uh, worked basically uh, up to the Second World War. And uh, mm-hmm. there are two figures that are uh, particularly uh, important to early phenomenology and, and to me as well, to my own yes. uh, approach to the discipline. Uh-huh. Uh, so one of them is uh, a guy by the name of Adolf Reinach. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah. Um, yeah. he was, um, um, I mean, brilliant, uh, a brilliant philosopher in the sense that uh, he really incarnated, I think, certain epistemic values like clarity, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he his argument are um, uh, you know are characterized by this complete clarity that is not that doesn't simply derive from um, you know um, the way in which um, he uses language or he develops argument, but rather from the fact that every single passage in his argument is supported mm-hmm. by by examples that immediately reveal to you you know, illustrate to you the, the, the philosophical point that he uh, wanted to make. Uh, and, um, and his, uh, uh, you know, his, his um, I think, ambition and aspiration mm-hmm. to be true to facts, mm-hmm. uh, that is something that um, I, I, I really highly value in, mm-hmm. uh, in Reiner. And then there is uh, this, this other guy, um, yeah. um, again, uh, early phenomenologist, um, mm-hmm which to a certain extent is exactly the opposite uh, to oh, Reiner okay. uh, in terms of argumentative style. So this is uh, Max Scheller. Oh, um, he has, uh, um, um, you know, s- some of his ideas have really deeply um, influenced or shaped my way of thinking. But mm-hmm. Scheller is important to me for, um, uh, for a different reason. So I, f- I think Ch- Scheller is somebody, uh, I mean, he has been described as such by, by his close friends, by other phenomenologists. So I'm just here, in a sense, reporting what uh, others have said. But I think um, uh, that is really a, a genuine character of his philosophizing, which is, uh, you know, he's, 
intuitive way of uh, presenting uh, uh, philosophical mm-hmm. insights. So Scheller mm-hmm. is somebody who has no patience whatsoever for uh, for developing uh, those <laughs> yeah. clear arguments that uh, Reinach yeah. uh, uh, yeah. is uh, is known for. So mm-hmm. Scheller is somebody that confronts you with with, with the truth, right? With, yeah. with with a certain insight, and then to a certain extent, it leaves to you to work out the details yeah. of the argument. Yeah. But still, those insights are so brilliant. They are so mm-hmm. um, so striking. Uh, again, mm-hmm. he makes yeah. use of examples uh, that um, just strikes you with such mm-hmm. a force that mm-hmm. uh, you can just you, you know you cannot just dismiss, or or at least if you want to dismiss them, then you need to have arguments to dismiss. Them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So so and, and these two uh, uh, polar opposites, um, I think, incarnate really some of the best uh, parts of phenomenology, mm-hmm. and they also have inspired my own work in this, in this particular tradition of, uh, of, of philosophy. So, again, they might not well be super mm-hmm. known, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. but uh, I think they, they were uh, very important, at least uh, to me. Yeah, thank you, Alessandro. These are really two good names uh, to suggest to our audience, Reinach and Scheler. Look, one very last question to say goodbye. Uh, The meaning of life. (laughs) (laughs) A very small, simple question. Do you think that life has a meaning? Do you think that it's up to us? What's your take on it? I'm sure... Um, you are very well aware that this is an extremely uh, complex uh, um, yeah. uh, question, partly also because um, it, is, it is not entirely clear what we mean when we speak of a meaning of life. But mm-hmm. um, all these caveats aside, um, I, yeah. I, I definitely think that uh, there is uh, uh, some sort of meaning in our life, uh, and a meaning that uh, transcends ourselves in Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, I, I think it, may, it, it makes a huge difference, not only to your own life, whether, right. let's say, you have tried to live your life trying to achieve some sort of values, be them mm-hmm. epistemic values or right. uh, moral values or um, aesthetic values, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it is... I mean, it is not only a matter of how you live your life. To a certain extent, this, first of all, impacts, you you know, your actions have exemplary significance. Other people will consider your own actions as potential examples to follow or as a potential example to criticize. So what you do has this intersubjective significance, you know, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether you want that or not. Uh, I mean, we are social beasts, we are social animals, and uh, Mm -hmm. we look at what others do, and we automatically take this particular stance toward the other uh, other actions uh, or attitudes. Mm -hmm. But then, in addition to that, uh, there is also, I think, this idea which um, perhaps is old-fashioned, perhaps is, uh, um, you know, uh, nowadays has bad press, but I... Oh. I truly think that, um, um, you know, certain achievements um, have um, a significance that, again, transcends the mm-hmm. life of the subject mm-hmm. who has mm-hmm. 
achieve that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I was referring to values uh, mm-hmm. before. And, uh, and now if you think that values are, are properties that you know, they are not simply evaluations, there, there is something right. over and above you know, subjective mm-hmm. evaluations that in fact might makes those evaluations correct or incorrect, Mm-hmm. If you if you think of values in that sense, then then I think it is um, plausible to find the meaning of life in relation mm-hmm. to those values, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, and so now, what exactly the meaning of life is that I I can't uh-huh. I mean I think everybody has to find that answer for themselves in their own consciousness. But I think yes. any answer to that question. Um, uh, could uh, or should perhaps uh, be uh, formulated in relation to to these values that you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a way, enrich uh, our world, makes the world, mm-hmm. you know, the wonderful or or the terrible world that that, mm-hmm. that it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, this Thank wise you. surprise <laughs> answer. <laughs> that you. Uh, you you gave us and thank you so much for uh, the the time you dedicated to us uh, today thank you thank you a lot uh, for for you suzy for organizing this and thank you also for uh, all those who had uh, the patience to listen to me this podcast was funded by the faculty support grant at csu east bay Follow our social media accounts for episode updates, highlights, and other behind-the-scenes materials.